Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Teresa and I and uh, uh, Larissa and Lathan, uh, not Lathan, Larissa and Leth, excuse me, uh, just came back from, uh, we went to down to uh, Kansas City, Kansas. We got back this late actually early this morning, um, and that's kind of a long story. But anyways, we went to a pastors and leadership conference, and it was really encouraging. I was encouraged. Um, I know everybody I spoke to that, that came was encouraged as well. And so anyways, we got back really late, uh, so I got to bed really late, and then I got up really early. So if I'm a little like, it feels like, man, he looks like he's discombobulated, it's because I am discombobulated. So <laughs> anyways, but uh, hey, just ask the Holy Spirit to, you know, just flow through me. That's what we're praying for this morning. Uh, anyways, so uh, really, well, it's not cool, but this is interesting. I'll just share with you guys. So we went down to, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Quilt Town. Anybody heard of Quilt Town? Quilters have heard of Quilt Town probably. Yeah, okay. Um, so we went there. It was kind of a rough neighborhood. There's a lot of, you know, ladies on a tour bus with their bags. And I was, I was like, man, this is a rough neighborhood here. But anyways... So we're walking around. It's a very quaint town. It's in Missouri. It's probably about an hour or so away from Kansas City, Missouri, something like that. Um, anyways, uh, so we, we were there, and uh, we had driven down this country road to get to this place, and we drove past this place and it said, Andy, Andy, something or other, got Gitchy Gumi or something like that. I don't know. That's these weird words on it. I'm like, that's really interesting. So uh, we Googled it and found out a little bit about it. Anyways... Uh, on the way back, we, we stopped back in that town because they have really good chocolate there. It's really cheap. So we, we, the chocoholics we were, we, we were like, we got to get this chocolate. So we got there, and then we drove past this place, and we thought, let's check it out a little bit more. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but here's a tidbit for you. So you know Adam and Eve, they were, they were created, and they were placed in the Garden of Eden, right? Does everybody know that? So apparently... After the fall, when they were kicked out of the garden, they got transplanted to Missouri. And so that's serious. I mean, that's what it said anyways. And, you know, we believe the signs and you believe Google. No. But uh, so anyways, there's this like 300-acre park-like thing. And that's where, huh? 3,000-acre park-like place. And uh, supposedly that's where Adam and Eve were after they got kicked out of the garden. So, um, so we were there. I, I was looking around for fig leaves. I didn't see any fig leaves. And I mean, I just, I'm joking about it because it was like, how bizarre that someone could believe that. And so, you know, we were kind of joking about it and stuff. And, but, you know, what's really tragic about that is that there are millions of Mormon people on this planet right now that actually believe that junk. There's no basis for it whatsoever. I mean, it's just preposterous. Uh, and yet there's people that, are, that believe that, and they're on their way to hell because of a, they, they, they think they believe in Jesus, but it's not a Jesus of the Bible. And so, you know, there's, there's, it's like, boy, this is really ridiculous. We kind of were joking around and stuff. But the reality is there's a lot of spiritual deception that stemmed from this, this thing that Joseph Smith started. So, you know, and we look at our society today, and maybe they're not Mormons. We got a letter in the mail from someone in our community, and they're Jehovah Witnesses. And, and uh, I was reading this little pamphlet, and I go, man, lie, 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 lie. How can, how can? There's a lot of people that are being deceived in, this, in our community through false religion, but also deceived by the lies of the enemy, just humanism and atheism and stuff. So um, before I get into the study, let's just pray. 
Let's pray for our community. Heavenly Father, we just lift up uh, our community around us, Lord, those that have bought into the lie, Lord, that are either following a false religion, a cult, Lord, those that are following the cult of, of evolution or the cult of humanism, Lord, we pray for our, the people around us. Lord, and as we see the day approaching, Lord, I just pray that you would give us just a, a, a boldness and an urgency to share the good news of Christ Jesus, the real, the Jesus of the Bible, with our friends and with our neighbors around us. And Lord, we pray that the strongholds that Satan has in people's hearts would be broken by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we just pray for that this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 3. And I titled this, Walking Through the Fire. And uh, boy, I tell you, you know, if you think about it, uh, there's a lot of fire going on. I know there's some people that are going through some major fire right now in their lives. Trials is what I'm referring to. And uh, <clears throat> so as we go through this chapter, we're going to talk about this trial that these individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were faced with and what they went through. And uh, there's five points that I'm going to bring out, uh, maybe hopefully for us to encourage us and encourage you in whatever trial you're going through at this time in your life. Um, so walking through the fire. And we'll begin with Daniel 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So a cubit, a cubit we think is about 18 inches roughly. Um, I think it's like the, from the tip of a finger to an elbow. It's, anyways, it's, we think, because nobody really knows for sure, but we think it's about 18 inches. So this statue that Nebuchadnezzar would have put up would have been 90 feet roughly, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Very, very large. And... Uh, um, it's now the image that I have on the screen here is for, actually from last week's study, and that was the image that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream, uh, the dream of this great big statue. Its head was gold, its its arms and its its uh, chest was silver, its waist was brass or bronze, and its feet were partly clay and partly uh, iron. And and we went through the prophecies about that, about speaking about the empires that that reigned throughout. Uh, human history, even up to today. In fact, the toes haven't been fulfilled yet. So, uh, but anyways, that was last week. And so that image probably, and this is just my guess, that image probably was pretty similar to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream with one difference. It was all gold. It was all gold. Let me read this to you. It's out of chapter 2, verse 37. Daniel, Daniel said this, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And whenever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head. That was the head of the image that he saw, kind of a depicted here. You are the head, uh, this head of gold, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And all I'm thinking is, is Nebuchadnezzar's like, I don't want my kingdom to end, and so I'm going to make this entire thing of gold. It's going to be my kingdom all the way down from head to toe. And so that's just what I, what I think he did. Verse 2, 
And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he gathered together all of them, were told these different, these different people, and basically what it would have been would have been the governors of all the Babylonian provinces and their deputies, you know, the, their, their, uh, their under, the, whoever was right underneath them, uh, chief judges or senators of the Babylonian empire, treasurers of the Babylonian empire, counselors or judges, and even the law enforcement, sheriffs. Because like, if you go into the, if you read through the Hebrew and you, you get... That's what those names mean, um, it boils down to anyways. So basically, all of the civic or civil, civic, civil, whatever, the, 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 the government, basically, he had all the government leaders come down to, uh, to you know, inaugurate this, uh, this uh, image and, and to worship the image. Uh, verse 3, so the satraps the administrators, the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So you can imagine, if you're one of these people out in you know the far reaches of the Babylonian Empire, and, and Nebuchadnezzar wants everybody there, you know, you're not going to miss out. So just think about it. Everybody was there. Uh, halfway through <laughs> verse 3. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald, verse 4, Then a herald cried out aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So when the band played, or more accurately, when the symphony played, everyone was required to bow down and to worship the image. And disobedience to that would have been a death sentence. Interesting, because if you look back and fast forward to the book of Revelation, there's going to be a similar scene played out during the Great Tribulation. In Revelation 13, verse 15, speaking of the Antichrist, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, and that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So it's going to be repeated again here. We won't be around for it, but it's going to occur during the Great Tribulation. Now, an interesting thing that uh, I don't believe this is the image of the beast or anything, but a very interesting thing has uh, been developed recently, and that's known as the giant. I don't know if you ever heard of the giant, but it's developed. It's kind of a marketing thing. Um, they're going bringing this thing around. Uh, this It's basically a 10-story shape-shifting image. And it's going to, you know, it's like this 90 or this great big 10-story selfie, basically, because you can put your own face on this thing. And it's going to, it's shape-shifting so it can move and it can talk and and it's lifelike. And 90 feet tall, roughly. Well, 10 stories is about 90 feet, a little bit more, actually. But so if you can imagine, the image that they had to bow down would have been about the size of this thing, the giant. 
Um, so interesting. I'm not saying this is, you know, but it's just, it's just fascinating that this is, this is happening now of all times in our history. Verse 7. So at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image when King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, you know, maybe you don't really worship. You're one of these guys, you know, you come from, you know, Podunk, Babylon or something, and you're there, you know, and you're the backwaters area, and you don't really follow, you know, Babylonian stuff, but, you know, you're there. And, uh, but now you're here, and you don't really, you know, you know, I could care less about Nebuchadnezzar and stuff, but can you imagine the pressure? Everybody, everybody is bowing down. Would you want to be the one that's standing up by yourself? Boy, I tell you, today, there is so much pressure on you and I to fall down and to, to do what everybody else is doing. And so for you and I to stand, I mean, that's really, that takes guts, doesn't it? Well, can you imagine there were some that didn't fall down and worship? Verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. We're not talking about hundreds of Jews. We're talking about three Jews. We'll see that in a few minutes. Now, it, before we get into that, it kind of makes you wonder, why, I mean, why, why did they do this? Well, I think the prime issue is jealousy. Because if you think about it, Daniel, as we talked about last week, he, he, he not only tells King Nebuchadnezzar, which all the Chaldeans, the, the, all the magicians and the astrologers, all, they couldn't do it. They, they couldn't tell King Nebuchadnezzar his dream, but Daniel was able to actually tell him the dream, and then not only tell him the dream, but tell him the interpretation. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He like falls down in front of Daniel. Well, you know, that's, that was short-lived. But anyways, he's like, man... He appoints Daniel head of all of these people. And then Daniel says, hey, I got these three guys. Man, they, they love the Lord, you know, just like me. And, and uh, can, I, can we do something for them? And so Nebuchadnezzar makes them also, it puts them in positions of leadership. So, you know, here's these Chaldeans, these people that are from Babylon. And now they got these foreigners that are over them. That are, that are higher than them. So, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of jealousy. Well, I think that's what the case is. Proverbs 27, verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? We also see in the scriptures, and Pilate was a very, you know, I mean, he was the guy that, you know, allowed the Jews to crucify Christ, so he's not a, he's not a stellar person. Um, but he had a little bit of, I mean, he wasn't stupid. And he knew, by the scriptures tell us, that he knew that the Jews handed over Jesus because of envy. You know, Jesus, the crowds were coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees hated that. They hated the fact that there was someone that was challenging their authority and their power and their, their position in, in Judaism. But I tell you, so jealousy is, I think, is the reason behind this. It's not so much, hey, they're not worshiping. It's like, we want to get these guys. I just want to encourage you, 
you know, I think we all, you know, tend to at some point in our lives either get envious of someone, jealous of someone, and that's one of the things that sometimes we struggle with. I just encourage you, jealousy, it's, it, can, it can really do some damage in your own heart. It can ruin relations and everything. So just, just a word of warning. If you're dealing with jealousy, man, you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go because it will destroy you and those around you. Well, continuing on here, verse 9. They spoke and said to King forever. This is the uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. This would be the Chaldeans. O King, live forever. You, O King, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. i just pronouncing it that way. I think I don't know if that's the way it's pronounced. <laughs> So I just think it's cool to say it that way. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <laughs> that you do not, I'll say it the way people say, Ab Abednego, um, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down, <clears throat> excuse me, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Look at verse 14. I just think it's interesting. It's almost like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's the kind of guy that could just say off with their head and they are off with their head, you know, basically. He's the guy, he's got the power of life or death over anybody and everybody in his kingdom. And it says that he was angry. But when these guys come before him, it's almost like he doesn't want to believe that that's true. He wants to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I just, it's like, why is that? Again, I think God gave the Jewish, these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel favor in the, in the eyes of this king. So, that, man, is it true? Because if, if you'll fall down and worship, man, man, everything's going to be hunky-dory. It'll be cool. We'll, we'll, you know, we're good. As long as you do that. You know, our world is fine with you and I believing in Jesus Christ. They don't have a problem with that. If you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. When they have a problem is when you say, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Wait a minute. You can't say that. All religions are the same. You, know, you guys have heard that story over and over again. They're fine with it, your faith, until... You say, but Jesus said he's the only way. And that's kind of what's taking place here. Hey, you know, you know, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really care that they worship Jehovah, but he wants them to worship his gods as well. So if you'll just worship these guys, everything will be fine. And then verse 15, he says this, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? 
And you know what's funny about that? Anytime someone says that in the Bible, it usually doesn't turn out too good for them. And it's not going to turn out too good. Anyways, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, sorry, Abednego <laughs> answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, <clears throat> excuse me, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. The first point I want to bring out here is don't compromise. Don't compromise. Notice what they didn't say. You know, they didn't say, hey, give us a few minutes. We need to, you know, we need to confer together and, and then we'll give you an answer. Um, they didn't say, you know, we need to sleep on this. Can we sleep on it, you know, and come back and respond? Or, they basically say, you know, we can give you an answer right now. We don't, we don't have to think about it. We, we've got our answer right now. And why did they say that? Because the Lord God told them in Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And so they're not, we're not compromising. And I want to encourage you, don't compromise in your convictions. The problem comes when we try to compromise and then we try to justify our compromise. And so these guys said, you know what? We don't even have to answer you. We already know. They knew what they, they, knew what they believed and they, they, there was a line. They said, we're not crossing this line, period. And then they said, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. We're going to talk about faith there. Our God is able and he will. But, but, even if he doesn't do it, we're still not going to worship your gods or this image. Talk about conviction. Conviction. Here's the second point. Have faith in God regardless of the outcome. Have faith in God regardless of the outcome. They didn't have faith in the outcome. They had faith in God regardless of what God would do. Why do some, and let me ask you this rhetorically, why do some people with tremendous faith still die of cancer? You know, this is a struggle that we have in life. Well, you know, if God is good and God is all-powerful, why are people still dying? I mean, you know, don't, can't they have enough faith that they won't die of cancer? Well, the reason is because God is sovereign. And God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. But his plan and his purpose may not be the same as your plan and your purpose. But it doesn't change the fact that he loves us. And so they said, you know what? We don't, we don't, care, what, we don't care what happens. We're still not going to bow down. We're still not going to give up. And, and we believe God is able to and, we, and he will deliver us. But even if he didn't want to, we're still not going to do it. Talk about conviction. This is an example. I have a few examples of someone who had faith in God regardless of the outcome. The first one is Paul the Apostle. In Acts 20, verse 24, you know, he was, being, he was being told, if you go back to Jerusalem, man, you're going to be chained, you're going to be bound, you're going to be arrested. And, and people were prophesying this wherever would, Paul would go. And Paul basically says here in Acts 20, verse 24, None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, 
that so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing's going to move me from what I believe. Nothing. There's an example in the book of Job. And you guys know Job, right? Job was this godly man. And, and you know, it wasn't like Satan came to, to the Lord and said, can I persecute Job? Or, you know, because anyways, God actually said to Satan, Hey, check out, did you, did you check out Job there on the planet? Did you actually, you see him? And, and Satan said, yeah, well, he loves you because you've, you've put a hedge around him. You've protected him. And you know the story. Jesus, the Lord basically says, okay, you can remove that protection. You just can't harm him. And, you know, one thing that when you go through the book of Job and you read that, what a comfort it is to know that whatever Satan wants to do, whatever, he can't, it's not like he has the power to do it. It all flows through God's sovereign. God has to give him permission. And you go, why would God do what he does? I don't know. But I do know that he loves you. And I do know that he's not out to get you. And there's, there is a reason, but you may not know it. But God loves you and he'll be with you. And we'll look at that as we go through that. Anyways, Job. What a thing. And I don't know if I could say this, but listen to what Job says here in Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he kill me, it isn't going to change my faith in him. The next point I want to bring out here is don't fear. Don't fear. And... I want to talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> I can because I'm the pastor, right? So I just, anyways, fear. It's an amazing thing right now how fear is being used in this generation. Our godless government is using fear to motivate people in so many different ways. Fear of death, fear of irreversible climate change. Whether you believe it or not, there's fear, you know. I have fear that spiders are going to jump up and kill me, but, you know, um, it's an irrational fear. But it's a fear. It's, it's a legitimate fear. I don't believe in, in, in uh, well, I do believe in climate change. I do believe in global warming. It's in Second Peter, you know. Uh, God's going to destroy the earth, you know. But anyways, it's not going to be slow in human cause. It's going to be fast, and God's going to just say, that's it, and it all is going to happen. Anyways, but the fear is a real fear that people have. And the government's motivating people based on that fear. There's fear of losing your livelihood. That's a, that's a big fear. There's also fear of being labeled a racist or a hater of some group of people because you said something. You know, you're not calling someone by whatever they want to be called by yourself. And now you're, you're, man, you're a hateful person. And who wants to be labeled a racist or a hater or whatever? None of us do. So I've got to be careful what I say. You know, this so fear. Man, there is so much fear that's being promoted out there and being used to motivate people. And I'm just going to bring this up and, and, and anyways. People should be free to make the decision to be vaccinated or not. I'm just going to say it, okay? Based upon their personal convictions and their, spiritual, their personal spiritual conviction. What concerns me most about this whole issue, this is the elephant in the room, the whole issue that is going on right now is people that are making their decision based on fear. I 100% support, and let me, let me, before I say that, I'm not saying that people need to be stupid and careless. 
there's a pastor down in, in, down in Kansas that actually died of, of COVID just, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago. So um, it, this is real. So I'm not saying be stupid. Don't be, you know, don't be afraid of that. You know, just go on and live. I'm not saying that, okay? Don't, don't leave your saying, oh, man, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is don't make your decision one way or the other because I support you in whatever decision you make. I'll be honest with you. Whatever decision you make, I support you. But whatever you do, man, don't make it based on fear. Make it based on your conviction, but don't make it based on your fear. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And, and I would just pray, what, and, and not, I'm just talking about that one thing, but in anything in our lives, don't base what you do on fear. Man, our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able and he's willing to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not, still not going to bow down. Romans 14, verse 8, Paul said this, If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. And, you know, I'm not going to go out there and, and uh, stand in front of, uh, on Highway 52 in the middle of the road and, you know, maybe with a sign saying repent. And I'm not going to run around and go, I don't care about these cars. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to do stupid things. I'm not going to jump off of a, of a two-story building and, and say, you know, God's going to deliver me. You know, I'm not going to do stupid things. Um, why did I breathe? Oh, but as a believer, okay, so I've been, I've been a whole lot of sleep. As a believer, I really don't have to fear death. Okay, I'm not, gonna, I'm not, I'm not like going to taunt God or anything like that, but I'm also not afraid. I'm also not afraid because I know whether I live or whether I die, man, I am going to be spending eternity with Jesus Christ, my Savior. And so uh, don't be foolish, but above all, don't be fearful. Don't, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And so I just want to encourage you. And if, if you're fearing, and fear isn't real, okay? I'm afraid of things. I get fearful. So, so don't call, oh, I feel I'm, I'm, less, of a, I'm less of a Christian because I'm, I'm afraid of this. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't be afraid, okay? I'm not judging you because you are. I get fearful. I get fearful of things all the time. Spiders are the worst ones, man. <laughs> Just you know, there's a story behind that. When I was a kid, oh, I don't know if I should. Should I share that? I should. My wife says I can. Uh, anyways, so if she says I can, I will. No, I'm just <laughs> when I was a little kid, and I don't know if this is it. I don't, don't think my dad's a bad guy. He's a, I love my father. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord and stuff. He was a, a great example as a father and uh, a, just a, a godly man and perfect example for me. Um, but when I was a little kid, I was a really slow eater. And uh, it would drive my dad nuts. And so he would always say, you have to get done with your plate before I get done with mine. And uh, I have another brother who was really slow eater. You know, we'd have the chipmunk cheeks. You ever seen that in little kids? You know, because you don't want to swallow. And you, I have the chipmunk cheeks. I had bigger cheeks anyways as a little kid. As a little kid. But I was about, I don't know, four years old. And we were living in this duplex. And I remember the backyard was basically overgrown with weeds. And there's a little patio in the front. My dad said one time, and I, I still have this vivid memory, a memory of it. He said, if you don't finish your plate, you're going to go out and eat with the spiders. And four-year-old kid. <laughs> so here I'm sitting on this patio because I didn't finish my plan, <laughs> watching all the spiders around me eating. Well, you know what? Every one of my brothers and sister, my sister, were all afraid of spiders. 
Funny thing is, my dad was too. So, <laughs> like I said, I don't know. But you know, there's sometimes there's re things happen, and you it's like it's it's with you, you know. And I don't I don't know that that's the reason or not. But you know, we have fears, and they may be irrational. My fear is irrational, like right. Spiders are more probably more afraid of me than I am of them. So it's an irrational fear. But in me, it's a real fear. I mean, it's, it's real. It's not around. It's like, it's real. <laughs> and whatever you're going through, you might be afraid right now. And so I'm not discounting anybody's fear, okay? Don't leave here going, oh, I'm less of a person. I, I can't tell anybody I'm afraid of this. No, we're all fearful of different things. But I want to encourage you this morning. We don't have a spirit of fear. We haven't been given a spirit of fear and timidity. So trust the Lord. So I just wanted to say that. Psalm 91, verses 5 and 6. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. There are so many scriptures that tell us about not being afraid. Isaiah 51, verse 12 and 13. I, even I, am he who comforts you, who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of a man who will be made like grass? And you forget that the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, you have feared continually every day because of the fury of the, compress of the, <laughs> compressor, of the oppressor. Wow. I guess that could be a real fear too. <laughs> when, he <laughs> when he has prepared to destroy, and where is the fury of the, of the oppressor? <laughs> First I said compressor and I said professor, but that's neither it's oppressor. <laughs> if you're in school, you might be afraid of the professor too, I guess. Um, but here's the point here in verse 12. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass and you forget the Lord your maker, the God who created the heavens and the earth with the power of his voice stretched out the sky. I'm afraid what these people are going to do. Man, God is greater. He's bigger than the boogeyman. <laughs> In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches that were in Asia Minor at the time. I know, I know you women have been studying that in, in Revelation. But Jesus said this to say to the church of Smyrna. He said, oops, he didn't say that. He said, you do not, uh, do not fear the, about the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. God doesn't say you're not going to go through a fire. You're, you're going to be tested. But there's a couple things there. You're going to be tested, but it's, it's, it's short. It's 10 days. Just be faithful, be faithful, and I'm going to give you the crown of life. Well, moving on here, verse 19. So these guys, they said, we're not going to, we're not going to bow down. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think verse 22 is there for the skeptic. This wasn't an easy-bake oven. <laughs> it was more than likely a large furnace used for forging uh, metal or uh, making bricks, basically. It was a huge furnace, and it was heated up so hot that the guys that brought uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, tied them up, they died because the heat was so intense. Verse 23 and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look! He answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, I don't know why Nebuchadnezzar was staring into the fire. There's, I think the Septuagint said that they were worshiping the Lord, and I don't, you know, I don't know that, but, but something catches the king's attention. Something catches his eye, and he looks into the fire, because I mean, the, you would have thought they would have just been vaporized that the guys that threw him in they died, you would think there'd be nothing. But for whatever reason, he looks and he's blown away. There's three of them still alive. Wait, wait, there's not three of them. There's four of them in there. You know, and well, we know the fourth is in fact the Son of God. Here's point number four. The Lord Jesus is going to be with you in your trial. Whatever trial you're going through, the Lord is with you. In their fiery trial, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and I, you know, I, I love thinking about their names. I love thinking about their names. I'm going to bring it up again. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. God is gracious. He blesses us above what we deserve. Mishael, who is what God is. And the way I think that's what that means is basically who compares with our God? And who is like our God? And Azariah, Jehovah has helped. God is gracious. What God is like our God? And God helps you and I. Well, those three men, they are thrown into their fiery trial. And undoubtedly, they see Jesus in their trial. And I want to encourage you, whatever fiery trial that you are going to go through, it's going to give you a greater appreciation of Jesus Christ, of who he is, because he's going to come to you and he'll be with you in that trial. I've been through trials. I'm sure you have been through trials too. And the trials, sometimes, you know, trials can do two things. They can drive you away from God or they can bring you closer to him. And I tell you, the choice is yours, basically. But the trials that I've gone through have drawn me so much closer to the Lord. I sense his presence. I sense his mercy and his grace. And, and sometimes you're not going to get that without going through a trial. 
Uh, you'll have this understanding of the Lord. You'll under, have this understanding of his grace. But when you're in that trial, man, that's when God proves faithful. And he is faithful. And he is good. His mercy and grace are revealed in a greater way. And his peace is revealed that passes our understanding. I can't think about it. I can't explain it. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I've got this peace. And that peace is the peace that God gives us through Christ Jesus. Well, undoubtedly, these guys saw Jesus in their trial. I mean, he's standing there with them. They're talking with him. But not only that, Nebuchadnezzar also saw Jesus in their trial. I want to encourage you, whatever you're going through, people are watching you. If, you, if they have an idea, they know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're going to go through a trial or you're going through a trial, they're watching you. Because you know what? Everybody's got these, everybody wants to know what's going to work or what makes sense in this world. And so you have these false religions and they, you know, they're like everybody else. And, you know, the, the atheists, they, they, you know, everybody goes through trials and, you know, they, they handle it just the way I do. I don't, you know, but there's this one group of people and they always claim that Jesus Christ, and, and, and there's something different about them. There's, there's just, I don't know. I mean, they're going through the difficult, I see it, but there's something different about them. That's the difference for you and I as a believer in Christ Jesus. Whatever trial you're going through, people are watching you, and they're going to see Christ in you. They not only saw Jesus, but he was there in the fire with them. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Jesus Christ purchased each one of us. If you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, he bought you with a very costly price, and that was the, his blood. He bought you. You're his. He's not going to just abandon you. I'm a Dutchman, okay? Uh, I'm cheap. <laughs> well, to an extent. But, you know, when I, when I, if I spend some money on something... I want to take care of it, you know, especially if I spend a lot of money. Then that thing, I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to keep, make sure it's okay. I'm going to protect it. I'm not going to leave it out in the elements and stuff because, man, that's mine, and I invested. I, 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 it cost me quite a bit to do that. That's the same way Jesus treats you and I. It cost him so much. He's not going to abandon you, whatever you're going through. He's not, he, he loves you. He's not, going to, he's not going to throw you out and leave you out in the elements. He cares about you, whatever you're going through. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. That jumped out at me. Not only is Jesus with them in the fire, but these guys are walking around in the fire. They're not paralyzed in their trial. 
this is what, you know, going through this pastor's conference was really a blessing for me. Um, you know, just we were talking about uh, the theme was in Philippians, you know, not looking back at what's behind us, but pressing forward. That was the theme of, of the pastor's conference this weekend. And, and uh, it was a blessing to me. And I got to share, I was one of the speakers, I actually got to share, you know, how things have been for us as a fellowship and for me personally and stuff. And, and uh, that was kind of where the portion that I was going to share and uh, um, the next pastor um, shared, and he was talking about the Roman Empire. And, what he, and it, it kind of really impacted me, because what he talked about was he went through the different steps of, of what caused the Roman Empire to fall. And as he was going through it, I'm like, it's almost like I could check off. Okay, that fits our time. That fits our time. That, when, when he got down to the end, um, economic stuff going on, um, uh, local, uh, or I, I have my note. I don't have my notes with me, but basically, you get down to the end there, and it's like lawlessness is one of the things at, towards the end of the Roman Empire, and and then brutal, brutal dictators that would start these little fiefdoms, you know, and you'd have all these third world little countries and stuff. Basically, um, these these brutal dictators, and then right after that, they go into the Dark Ages, and. And he brought out this thing that I had, he said there was, there was one thing that, you know, was about the Dark Ages was there was a light during the Dark Ages, and that was the church during that time. And what was, you know, and anyways, what the Lord spoke to me about was, you know, we've been in this pandemic thing, and, you know, we've, it's, it's been tough. It's, it's been tough for all of us. And we're not the only churches. I mean, everybody, every church I was talking to has been, you know, they've got their own trials, too. And for a while, it was like, you know, we just got to hunker down and get through this situation. You know, let's just remain faithful. That's just, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to fold. We're not going to, you know, we're going to stand here. We're going to just hunker down. And when you get into a trial, sometimes you do that, right? It's just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to hang. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to stand firm and stuff. And you kind of get into that posture. And I think it's not a bad place to be sometimes. But after a while you got to start moving again because trials can paralyze you. Fear can paralyze you. And I think that's one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to paralyze us so that we're ineffective for reaching the kingdom or uh, reaching the people around us. One of the things that, that I brought out when, when I was sharing was that, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the letter of Philipp to the Philippians, he didn't write to the letter of the Filipinos. The Philippians, <laughs> um, he was in prison, not in a dungeon. He was in, under house arrest. So he was restricted in what he could do. And we're not in outright persecution right now. I mean, it's coming. I really do think it's coming. But we're not into outright persecution at this point. But we're kind of like under house arrest, it feels like, because we're restricted in a sense. And yet, in that restriction and in that trial, it was a trial for Paul, undoubtedly, he wrote four prison epistles that we cling to. There's like some of those verses are the foundation. Man, we just we got the bumper stickers and the fridge magnets because man, those verses mean so much to us. That was written during Paul's trial. And you may be going through a trial too, and God wants to use you in that trial. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to, he hasn't stopped working in this world. And we're the people that he's working through because he's given us his Holy Spirit. 
And we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth. And so it doesn't matter if you're in a trial or not, God's still working. And so God can still work through that trial. And so here these guys are, they're walking in their trial. They're not paralyzed. They're, they're walking around. And what's interesting to me is there's a lot of story, there's a lot of, you know, you go through scriptures. All the way back to the book of Genesis, the Lord God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. Could you imagine that, what that would have been like for Adam and Eve? Here their creator just comes out and hangs out with them, and just, they're just walking. We had a, a friend come and stay with us for a few days this last week, and you know I see him every you know year, couple years, whatever like that, and don't see him too frequently. And and he wanted to come and stay, and I'm like, man, I'm really really busy, but you know, um, but you're yeah, you're welcome to stay here, but just understand, I'm I'm super busy. But at one point, I wanted to take a break from my work and stuff, and I said, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. You want to go for a walk? And he's like, yeah. So we went up for a walk through uh, through um, uh, Corey Hill. And, you know, during that walk, it's like you get to talk with people. You get to find out what's going on. And, you know, it, it's, it's a way of fellowship. And uh, so it was, it, was, it was nice, you know. It was enriching, you know, get to find out what's going on with him. You got to find out what's going with, on with me and stuff. And that's what walking together with someone does. And, you know, think about it. Jesus walked with his disciples. They didn't have cars, so they walked everywhere. Can you imagine? You know, it's, uh, it took us six hours to drive down to Kansas City for this conference. Not a big deal. Well, you know, in a car and you're going down the highway at, you know, 75 miles an hour or whatever, uh, you know, it's not that big. But we had time to fellowship and to talk and to kind of get to know each other a little bit better. I think they may have regret getting to know me. As <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we were joking around and stuff. And, and, uh, but, but that's what that walking together, it's, it's a form of fellowship. It's a form of communion. The Lord walked with his disciples, and here the Lord was walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery flames. In Psalm 23, and you guys know this psalm, Yea, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And not just with me, like Jesus is standing there, hey, I'm here, you know. He's right beside you, walking with you through that trial. It speaks of fellowship, and it speaks of intimacy. And here's the other thing that kind of jumped out to me. They went into the fire bound, hand and foot. Now they're in the fire. <laughs> they're free. They're free. Isn't that amazing? Their bindings fall off, and they're free to walk with the Lord. We sometimes, you know, who wants to go through a trial? Who wants to go through the burning, fiery furnace? Who wants to have difficulties in our lives? But listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ... It's freeing. It's freeing. For one thing, it kind of burns away all the junk, all the things that you thought was important. Suddenly, it's like those things were not that important. But my relationship with my Lord, that's a, that's a gem. That's a, that's a treasure. And, and so, anyways, they're free. And so here's the last point. Don't get paralyzed by your trial. The first temptation, I think, is for us to flee our trial. I mean, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a natural response, right? You, you get close to a fire and you, poof, 
oh, that's hot, you know, you back away. So our temptation is to, or our natural inclination is to flee from our trials. But sometimes you can't run fast enough. Your trial catches up with you, or you're in the trials, like you're there. And I know a lot of us, you're there, you know. It's, you're, you're there, or you're about to go into this fiery furnace. Don't get paralyzed. The temptation is to hunker down and to try to write it out. But my encouragement, hopefully to you this morning, is that there's freedom, joy, and fellowship with the Lord even in the fire, and probably even more so in the fire. And in fact, that's so much so, we see that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that Nebuchadnezzar had to call them to come out of the fire. Hey, hey, guys, come out. I mean, they weren't going to come. They're free. They could easily walked out, but they're with the Lord in that trial. Who wants to leave when I've got this sweet fellowship with the Lord? Isn't that bizarre? I mean, I, I think about it as like, okay, I'm free. I can get out of my trial. They didn't. They stayed until they were commanded, by, or not commanded, but they were asked or called to come out of the fire. Can you imagine the fellowship? Freedom, joy, intimacy with the Lord in a trial being so sweet that you're no longer thinking about getting out of it. Can you imagine that? It's possible for you and I as believers. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these wise men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Interesting, Nebuchadnezzar he had arranged, right, all these guys to come, all the influential uh, movers and shakers, the people in his government. He had arranged to come there to show, in a, in a sense, it was to show their loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. He'd only been in the kingdom for a couple years. And so this is a way to, you know, these guys, are they really with me or against me? And so these guys are here, and it's an opportunity to see who's with him, you know, if there's anybody that's going to stand up against him. Um. Nebuchadnezzar had planned that. He had arranged that, right? But it's interesting to me, God arranged it so that all these people, all the leaders, all the people in that, they also saw that miracle. God arranged it so that they would see it, so it would have an impact on their lives as well. Verse 30, uh, 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servant, uh, his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve in, or, nor worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amazing story. One last thing I want to bring up, and that's this. Where was Daniel? Where was Daniel? 
We know in verses 48 through 49 of chapter 2, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So he's in that government. And here it said all the people were called, all these different people were called. So where was Daniel? And if you go to the commentators, most of them will say he was out of the country on business. <laughs> well, it could be. I mean, it could be. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he was. I don't know how they know that, but I mean, um, in a sense, though, he would have had to have been. And here's why I say this. Because he wouldn't have been exempted. It just it doesn't fit with the story that he would have been exempted. Everybody except for Daniel. So I don't think he would have been exempted from it if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't exempted from it. But he also wouldn't have worshipped the image. You know, if you look through the Old Testament scriptures, Daniel is one of the guys, he's mentioned as, as a faithful person, as a righteous person. So Daniel wouldn't have bowed down. We, it, it just, it just, that also doesn't fit. So we don't know where Daniel was. We really don't. And, and I think the commentators, they, they, it could be, he could be out on business or something. I, I don't dis, discount it at all. The point is not where was he. The point is why was he not there? And I think that's the key. Why wasn't he there? I have a theory as to why his whereabouts are not mentioned. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible, in fact, in Hebrews, it tells us all the things of this Old Testament was a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. And I think we're seeing a shadow or a, a picture or a type of something that's taking place. And this is what I believe, personally. I believe Daniel is a picture of the church. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a picture of the nation of Israel. And why I say that is, um, I believe the church will be delivered from the wrath to come. Now, we are experiencing the wrath of man right now. And as we go into closer and closer to the last days, uh, you know, the, the trials that are going to come, uh, that's the wrath of man. They hate us because they hate Jesus Christ. And we're going to see more and more persecution coming. I don't think we're going back to things as they were before or, you know, in the past. I think we're, we're I don't even think this season, I think this season is going to be short. And we're going to enter into another season. I think it's going to be even more difficult. But this is my feeling that we're going into even a more difficult time. But that's man's wrath. But when we get to the tribulation, the seven-year period, that's God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And I don't believe you and I as the church is going to be there. Daniel, I think, was a type of the church that is out of the picture. You know, it's like, where's Daniel? He's gone. He's gone. Where is he? Well, I don't know where he is, but I know he's gone, and there's a reason why that's in Scripture. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe, is a type of Israel who's going to be delivered through the furnace, through that great tribulation, the tribulation that no man has ever experienced before. No man, it's, it's, no man's, it's, ne it's not going to be anything like any, It's going to be worse than anything that ever happened before, and nothing's going to happen after. It's the worst time period it's a lot like what I think Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. I think that's a picture of the church as well. While Noah and his family, 
I think, is also a picture of, a, of Israel. They went through the flood. They went through the judgment. Enoch was taken out before it even happened. So that's my point. This, this is what I believe. Where's Daniel? I think, I don't know, but I think the reason why he's not there is because he's a picture of something that's going to be happening in the future. He's a picture of heavenly things. Well, some of you, and I'm going to close with this, and before I, I know I'm running probably a little bit over, but just want to share this with you guys. And um, I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that uh, I'm making a judgment on the vaccination pro or against, okay? Because I'll be honest with you, I'll be 100% with you, frank with you, I don't. I know people have been vaccinated. I 100% support you. I don't think you're like weak in your faith or anything like that. I don't think that. I honestly don't. I think, and this is my, you could, you could disagree with me, I think this is one of those food sacrifice to idols things. And if you feel, you know what, I, 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 I wanted to be vaccinated, I mean, 100% support you. I'm not judging anybody. God bless you. Because I don't, I don't think you're a second-rate Christian or you just don't have enough faith. I don't, I don't believe that. But on the other side of that, those of you that are standing there going, man, I, I can't compromise. This is my conviction. I can't compromise, and I don't want to be forced into it. I 100% support you as well. And the sad thing is, this is, this is what's, <clears throat> excuse me, I haven't had much sleep. <laughs> this is what's dividing the church. And we're getting to the point of them and us, those people and us. Man, don't do that. No, we're all believers. We all love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a secondary issue. I really believe it. So don't, don't judge. All right. I apologize. I shouldn't be uh, <clears throat> getting choked up, but I, did. I only got a few hours sleep. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Okay, enough of that. Anyways, that was the elephant in the room, and I just, I, you know, I don't want to tiptoe around it. Some of you are in a trial right now, and it may not be this issue. There's other issues, you know, marital issues, all kinds of issues, um, physical, health-wise, or it could be all kinds. Some of you are in a trial right now, or some of you are going to be shortly in a trial. And I want to encourage you, and I'm just going to reiterate these points. First of all, don't compromise what you believe. Don't compromise. Have faith in God regardless of the outcome. Don't have faith in the outcome. Have faith in God regardless of the outcome. Don't fear. Okay, don't fear. Don't, don't let fear drive you and be your motivator. Let Jesus Christ be your motivator. The Lord Jesus is going to be with you in your trial. He promises to. And he has proved himself faithful. In every trial I've gone through, he's been there. And finally, don't get paralyzed by your trial. And God still is working in this world. He wants to reach the world for him. And who cares what trial we go through? You look at these other nations where they're being persecuted. The church is still ministering. They may be you know, restricted in certain ways, but the word of God and the spirit of God is not restricted in any way under anything. And God still wants to do a work. And so what I want to do is I want to just close this, the service, and I'll have, not yet, but I'll have, after we do, I'll have the worship team come up. I don't want them to come up right now. What I want to do right now is just pray. 
pray with each uh, uh, all of you. And uh, I was going to just have you guys come up for prayer, but you know what? I bet you the majority of us here are going to are in that situation. So I just want to pray corporately for uh, for each one of us uh, that are going to go through a trial or that are in the trial right now. That you just have strength, the Lord God. You just the Lord would reveal Himself to you in a greater way. So let's pray, Heavenly Father. <clears throat>